0: It's the Mark Madden Podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Don't forget. Never forget. Always do. Bet now from anywhere. Let's bring in Tim Benz to figure out what's happening with college football because it really is a mystery to me. Tim, I need the situation with the ACC Deciphered, the seven breakaway teams. What do these teams want exactly? I think
1: they want a bigger slice of a bigger pie. I think They want security for when the music stops after this latest iteration of conference movement. Um, I think that they might be sacrificing whatever history they have left in college basketball for football, but that started a long time ago. So, I mean, I think that's their goal, and I think the end game for college football largely is going to be Two big conferences, and if there's anybody left over, they're just going to be independents, or they'll have uh, a menial tertiary conference that exists and not much
0: else. Well, yeah, that that ties into the prediction I've been making that the SEC and Big Ten will ultimately expand to 20 or 24 teams each, uh, two super conferences like the AFC and the NFC forming the NFL. It'll be the NFL of college football.
1: Right, and then I don't know where they go from there. I mean, do they want to have their own mini-playoffs within their conferences and then just have a Super Bowl of college football? Is that what they want to do? And how big do they want those conferences? I mean, at what point do they have so many teams in that they're slicing the pie too thin and they're not getting the same chunk yeah, that they would that have Yeah, but that
0: pie going to get bigger and bigger you know, as those conferences grow and grow, I think.
1: Well, I get it, but, you know, there's also a reason why the NFL hasn't gone to 40 teams yet. You know what I mean? Like, at some point, you get a point of diminishing returns.
0: Well, my my second part of that prediction, and you just alluded to this, the SEC and Big Ten winners would then play for their national championship every year, and everybody else is left out. They're just pretending.
1: Right, so it's a matter of how big do they want to get it. You know, At what point does... Notre Dame get left out with nowhere to go. At what point do uh, you know some of the ACC teams like Pitt and Syracuse and Boston College have nowhere to go? Um, you know some teams like Utah or something like that in the Pac-12, Colorado. You know it, they have to put a cap eventually on how big the two conferences are going to be, and then who's left out and what happens to them? Do they go D two? Do they have their own playoff? Uh, is it a, like you know does it become like European soccer or something like that where there's a next line of demarcation?
0: I don't know. Right, Pitt could play for the Europa League Championship. There you
1: go, right, exactly. And
0: and talking to Pitt, how come Pitt wasn't included by the breakaway group those seven teams and what's that say about Pitt football's program
1: yeah it felt like an old guard move didn't it like a more traditional ac even though even though virginia tech's well, a, not a
0: little bit but duke wasn't included which we'll talk about in a minute
1: right duke just is a basketball school first and foremost and i don't know if they didn't want a part of this because they still see themselves that way and know they don't bring the football clout but i think there's a perception among these seven schools that they're doing more to bring in TV dollars than the schools that have been left behind. And I don't know if that's exactly true, um, especially when you consider some of the market sizes in play.
0: Well, but Pitt doesn't bring much to the table, does it, in terms of market size and, and reputation? And you might say, you know, they have the Pittsburgh market. No, Penn State has the Pittsburgh market. There's more Penn State grads living in Pittsburgh than Pitt grads.
1: right. But there are still plenty of pick grads, and there's still a market to be had, and those games aren't always on at the same time. So the market wasn't so small that the ACC didn't want them when they expanded and ate up the Big East a couple decades ago. So it surprises me that they'd be so cavalier about letting it go now. I mean, it's not like—I know that Miami and Florida, those those are bigger markets per se, but it's not like they get huge draws or huge numbers, and they want them.
0: Right, they're they're not. Uh, right, they're big TV markets. And what's but like, Charlotte?
1: What, uh, what's what's uh, Charlottesville, Virginia?
0: That, uh, Trump, yeah, but you have the tradition there. You have rivalries tied in there. I've always said that hurts Pitt. Pitt doesn't have a true rival. Not that they play on a regular basis, and not that they play in meaningful games. They play Penn State once in a while, West Virginia once in a while. But, but but not in a conference, and you, know, you, you look at what Pitt can bring to the table. They don't bring any game that makes you say, wow, unless the Big Ten takes them to play Penn State, which ain't going to happen, and unless them and West Virginia somehow wind up in the same conference.
1: The best thing that could happen to Pitt and Syracuse and Boston College, if and when this comes to pass, is those teams defect to the Big 12 because I don't think the Big Ten wants them right now. But they might want them if it turns into a split of who remains in the Big 12 whenever the SEC and Big 10 become their own Like if you could
0: have a Big East division in one of these leagues.
1: To an extent, yeah. And then that division maybe gets eaten up by the Big 10 when the Big 10 and the SEC carve up that piece of the pie. Like it could be a cleaner split as opposed to just being an independent with nowhere to go.
0: Pitt made a horrible mistake – Tearing down Pitt Stadium and building a basketball arena instead of a new football field, didn't they? I-, I think that made them second tier. As long as that situation exists,
1: I don't think it's about the stadium. I think it's
0: no, no. I don't think it's only about that, but I think that figures. I think it's uh, one of a number of things, like I just mentioned, the lack of rivalries. I, I think there is a number of things that kind of whittles down Pitt's reputation and desirability. I think because
1: we're seeing eyes towards the two conferences, the two superpower conferences, the schools that you're seeding, seeing, trying to secede, it's more about geography than it is anything else. And it's more about old tradition of the ACC than anything else, even though two of those schools were big East schools that gobbled up, got gobbled up
0: anyway in Miami and Virginia Tech now now, what is the end game? Do these seven teams want out of the ACC to go to another conference? Do they want to form their own breakaway version of a smaller ACC? Do they want to maintain the ACC but get a bigger slice of the TV pie based on them having bigger programs and and being – I mean, I don't think they are, but they probably see themselves as a bigger TV draw. What exactly do they want to have happen here?
1: I think they want to be out in front of the game for the – eventual split to the two super conferences i mean i I think this But how
0: how would this get them out in front of the game what's the short game
1: i think the short game would be just to go to the sec if you can yeah i don't think that's going to happen overnight do you I don't, but in the meanwhile, why don't you try to get more money out of the ACC until you can get out of it? I mean, the big thing is trying to get out of the grant of rights. When you get out of the grant of rights, then the floodgates are open for whatever can happen next. So if you threaten to get out of the grant of rights and you just get more money in the meanwhile, great. And then eventually you go to the SEC anyway and you try to get out of the grant of rights then when the SEC decides it wants to expand and throws its money behind that to buy out what remains of the ACC so it can be in front of the Big Ten I think it's all just trying to line yourself for two steps down the road.
0: How many teams are currently in the Big Ten and SEC? It it's happened so fast and so often I lose track.
1: What is it now? Fourteen in the Big Ten and then sixteen in the SEC, is that right?
0: What what would be a manageable number for each? I I think ideally sixteen in each is where it should stop, but I know it won't. I think Well if you do divisions
1: you can do twelve.
0: Yeah, I, because
1: I, you could just play everybody in your division and then one pre pre conference game
0: or a non conference, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I I just think that that sixteen in each would be very manageable and very elite. I think if you go past that, but you're right in terms of making a schedule. You know, uh, two divisions of twelve in each of those conferences would be uh, very workable. Um, What's this do to basketball? You alluded to that a bit earlier because Duke isn't part of the Breakaway Seven. Would North Carolina really kill the basketball rivalry with Duke sure. for the sake of football money? I mean, I know they would, but it—it's it, kind of, kind of weird to say that out loud, isn't it?
1: They could always. There's plenty of room in a college basketball schedule for one game going back and forth every year.
0: Yeah, but then the game don't mean nothing.
1: It's Because not there's no Scott. Well. I think it, they would
0: try to justify it by turning it into a big to-do. Yeah, it wouldn't work like they think it would. Like, like Pitt-West Virginia, Tim, doesn't mean nearly as much as when the game was in a conference.
1: That's fair, for, for, yes. For, for football. Right. By the way, it's 14 in the SEC right now. 14 in the SEC. Um well, No, but I, I think you're right. It would lose starch... Would it lose all the starch? No. Would it be worth it for what they're gaining TV money-wise? money, money wise? Probably.
0: Yeah, to me it wouldn't be. I mean, but, but all that matters is money, and I think that's where this is taking a, a hard left and not a good direction is all they're thinking about is money. And I get that, but in some ways, put it this way, it makes me lose interest. It makes me, and I'm sure a lot of other people... Not want to watch college sports, but if they get their money, why do they care about me? It, there's a total
1: randomness now to the sense of what it means to win a conference. There's a randomness now to what it means to be good because of what the conference stands for. Um, you know, you might as well. Ha- I've made the argument before just let the Big Ten, you know, get to its 24 teams, let the SEC get to its 24 teams, and then everybody else just do open scheduling. You might as well. I mean, you're going to have basically the PGA and two live tours is what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, no, no, you're right. But I I just think this is the death of a lot of college football and a lot that's good about college football. You look at Penn State, Tim. They're in the Big Ten, and they're very happy with that. They don't have a rivalry game. They just don't. They have that conjured-up trophy, whatever the frig it is, with Michigan State. The The land-grant trophy. Yeah, but that's no rivalry. No, it
1: isn't. They want to be the rivals of Ohio State and Michigan, and in their eyes, they are, but Ohio State and Michigan will always have each other.
0: Well, that that brings me to what I think is a, a big point and why schools like Ohio State and Michigan and conferences like the Big Tech and SEC don't even bother to think for a second that they're causing damage to the greater landscape. I feel like college football is based on tradition, rivalries, and geography. Pitt lost all that. They lost all that. But Ohio State and Michigan, Alabama and Auburn, Texas and Oklahoma, they haven't lost that. They won't ever lose that, and they run college football. Yes,
1: they do, and Notre Dame's in that mix as well. I just don't know where, after all this, comes to pass. I mean, I think at some point, if they really do get to a point where it's just the two conferences, they'll join the Big Ten somehow, it's just how does NBC and Peacock get woven into that?
0: I do think this forces Notre Dame to a conference sooner or later. Yes, I would agree with that. Uh, how long till all this plays out? How many years is it going to take?
1: I don't know. I mean, they, they want to get to where their 12-team playoff actually has a chance to be seen, right? So I think you see that and see how that model works and see how the money gets divvied up for a couple years. I don't know. It might be five to ten years out, somewhere in that neck of the woods from the two super conferences. Good. I'll be dead.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, Penn State's... Fine. They don't have rivalries, but they're in the Big Ten. Right. What can Pitt and West Virginia do between now and when this does all play out to count, to get involved with one of those conferences? Exist? I mean, win the ACC in whatever fashion it
1: exists for Pitt? Win the Big 12 in whatever fashion it exists? See,
0: I don't think winning matters that much. I think it's all about reputation and market size.
1: Well, the market sizes aren't going to change. And they're
0: kind of... Well, Well, right, but again, I keep coming back to Penn State has the Pittsburgh market, and Penn State won't want Pitt in the Big Ten. Not that they and they alone decide.
1: I don't know that they won't if it gets to a twenty-four team conference, and the Big Ten would swallow up Pitt and put them in their division. Like what? Why would they not want that?
0: Uh, just because they're dinks. I mean, I don't know. Paterno's dead. I'm 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 looking way back at, at how you know Penn State felt that Pitt sabotaged their desire. For an Eastern Conference, but but yeah yeah, it, it's true that all the people that would carry a grudge are likely dead now. It's
1: another destination where their fans can go, as opposed to like if it's not Pitt that would go in, and it's Boston College or Syracuse or one of the military academies or you know somebody like that, um, Cincinnati University of Cincinnati, something like that, one of those schools that doesn't do anything for them and their fan base. Um, I don't think, and they wouldn't be intimidated by Pitt coming into their division. No, I don't think so. You know, so like, or West Virginia for that matter. So I don't know what harm it would do them if that were to be the case.
0: Um, Yeah, I, do you think we'll see an, a, a, an era where you have different conferences for football and everything else? Where like... That's what I've been. North North, North Carolina football is in the SEC. Fine, yes. But they're in the ACC for basketball with Duke. Great, that's what I've
1: been asking for forever. If college football wants to be its own thing, let college football be its own thing and bring back the Big East Basketball Conference then. You know, and let the ACC be what it used to be for basketball. That'd be fine by me. Like, Notre Dame right now is an independent in football, in the ACC in basketball, and in the Big Ten in hockey. If they can do it, why can't everybody else do it? You know, you see, like, there are schools, um, like, uh, Robert Morris is in the A-Sun in lacrosse and in the NEC in basketball and football. You know, why, why is this so hard? Why do you have to be wed to one conference if the conference is being divvied up the way that all these conferences are?
0: Well, I've conquered my inner conflict by not watching, um, Tim, let's move to the Penguins GM search. Uh, Who's the best choice of the names we hear about? And is there even a best choice?
1: I think the best choice is Darsh, but you've heard that he's not interested.
0: Yeah, but he has gone through the interview process. I know that for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think he's the best choice. I think if you have Tampa Bay Lightning pixie dust on you, I want to see. I'm interested.
0: You know what's funny about them interviewing Darsh? I think he's more interviewing them than they're interviewing him. I think the organization has to prove something to a guy like that and not vice versa.
1: I 100% agree. I 100% agree because this is not a very appealing job. This is not a job that you just take because it's the next rung on the ladder because you could find yourself in no man's land
0: if well, it doesn't if, work if out. If you're a guy like Darsh, you'll wait for a better opportunity. You know, there are some guys, like if they offered it to Mark Bergevin, he needs a job.
1: If I'm Darsh, I want to see what happens in to- in Toronto first. Like what do you what, mean? Like if Dubas doesn't stay and oh. there's an opening in Toronto, I oh, would, go to, point, Toron- I would point. go to
0: Toronto, right? Well, I hear the Penguin, the Penguins are going to hire two guys, GM and Director of Hockey Ops, and this time the latter job will mean something, like where Brian Burke was just a guy who screamed belligerently in the press box and, and talked to the media.
1: So, like, Bergevin gets the director of hockey ops and then a younger guy becomes the general manager?
0: Probably vice versa. Probably vice versa. Probably the younger guy, the analytics guy, is the hockey ops and the uh, veteran is the GM. But that brings my next question uh, up. If you get an analytics guy and a quote unquote hockey guy, what are the pros and cons of that? The pros and
1: cons are you have, the pro is that you have, Eyes towards maybe traditional things that are important to hockey teams outside of the numbers. And then you have somebody who understands the numbers, and if the two marry, you're in good shape. But I'll go back to what I heard on your program yesterday when you had Pierre Maguire on, talking about like, you know, all the analytics teams are, you know, fading out as the playoffs go along because not-so-great analytic players tend to play better in the playoffs because of the muck and grind that the playoffs... The play- way the
0: game's called, too. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and, and, and you know...
1: So it, if you, what I'm saying is if the, the pro is that you have somebody from each side so you get that conglomeration of players and you can tweak the lineup as necessary as the playoffs go along. The con is you don't have any identity to your team in the regular season and you wind up in ninth place. That's the con.
0: Well, in, in theory, if you have an analytics guy in a quote-unquote, hockey guy. In theory, the two approaches give a complete overview, but there's also potential for conflict and compromise. And I don't mean good compromise either. You look at Toronto. I doubt that Kyle Dubas wanted to bring in Wayne Simmons, washed up Wayne Simmons for his grit and tenacity. But they did, and that looked like a Brendan Shanahan move to me.
1: So why would you want the younger guy as the director of hockey ops, in theory as a higher rung on the ladder than the GM? Like, why would you want, like, a Matthew Darsh higher in the pecking order? Well, I, I than, didn't
0: say I did. I just think that's how it's going to happen. Wh- uh, why
1: would they do that? That feels weird to me to then have the older, more experienced guy. Because I
0: think they want analytics to be uber alles.
1: Then I get a second analytics
0: guy. Yeah, so would I. I mean, like, you know,
1: I, I see what you're saying, the concern being that, you know, if you have the older, old-school-thinking hockey guy with authority – to shove a Wayne Simmons on Matthew Darcy here in Pittsburgh or a Ryan Reeves on a uh, Mike Sullivan who doesn't want him, you get that dynamic.
0: Well, I, but, I think that's another flaw, and I know it's going to be a flaw. The coach is going to be in charge. Did you read that thing? And that's bad. Did you read that
1: thing from the... The coach should never be in charge. I, I agree. I mean, like, coach the players that you're given. Right. You Jim think.
0: Rutherford tol- should have told Mike Sullivan, you have to play Ryan Reeves or I'll get somebody who will.
1: You're going to the Billy Bean, Art Howe thing, right?
0: Uh... Yeah, I mean, I mean, the I think thing. if the GM shops for the groceries, he has to tell the coach how to cook because his vision is the roster and the roster has to be used as per the vision. Did you read that
1: inside the AHL story that came out about um Mike Sullivan and his view of Wilkes-Barre? Did you see that by no. any chance? So there's this this guy covers the AHL and he does a ripoff, his self-admitted rip-off of Elliot Friedman's thirty-two points. Okay. And he had like five points in the Penguins.
0: That's sixty-four points I don't pay attention to. <laughs> but he did about five little takeaways
1: in the Penguins, and one of them was that during this interim period where there's been no GM and director of hockey ops, that Sullivan has been pounding the table to get Wilkesbury in better shape. Which is ironic to me because he never used anybody from
0: Wilkes-Barre anyway. What do you mean in better shape? To have more prospects there? Yeah, to
1: have more. Yeah, I mean, well,
0: I mean, uh, we don't have any. You don't just conjure up prospects. You don't just drive a truck through, I don't know, Sarnia, Ontario and come back with prospects.
1: Understood. And then when those prospects are there, are you going to call them up and not use them? Are you going to keep them in Wilkes-Barre and keep playing Jeff Carter? I mean, it just sounded like a disconnect. Well, that's
0: exactly what's going to happen. Again, yeah. I mean, I know how this season's going to go, and I don't even know who the GM is. But
1: the funny part of it, too, the rest of the push and pull of this report was the guy wrote that, um, help me out, a J.D., what's his name, the, the coach down there, the the Wilkesbury coach. Um, Got G- me, Tim. J.D. Forrest, Forrest. He, that he's actually done a nice job with the team, but... They just didn't have enough talent. That the structures in place and other AHL coaches think that he's doing a good job. Okay,
0: I don't I don't care if they win at Wilkes. I just want players to develop. And if they do develop and don't get used up here, then there's no point to Wilkes at all, no matter what Sullivan wants. But the
1: underlying basis premise to the whole thing that he wrote is Sullivan is like <laughs> is their guy. Fenway sports group is one hundred percent behind one hundred percent behind That
0: will be the undoing of this team. Okay, I would trade Sully to the Rangers. I suggested that possibility, and I know they're not going to, but they should because here's what's going to happen, Tim. The Penguins aren't going to make the playoffs this coming year, and midway through the next year they'll be headed to not make it again, Mm -hmm. and Sullivan will get fired, and they will have gotten no return for him.
1: They won't get any return, and then you're – Kind of in the same situation that you have been before, where you just got to hope that a new coach injects life into the team. And I feel like the Penguins have played that card so many times, uh, at some point it's just not going to work.
0: Well, Tim, they're just screwed,
1: okay? Well, that's why I said that, that the job is not all that appealing.
0: They think they can win now, and they can't. And that is a horrible position to be in. Crosby, Malkin, latang they want to win now. They can't. Sullivan thinks they can win now. They can't. The GM can come in and they can say to him, you know, we want to win now. And the GM will say, well, you won't be able to. And they'll say, tough crap. That's what we want you to do. They are too married to this group of three and keeping them happy and chasing a dream that's long since dead.
1: Which is why I think it's a bad idea. Some might disagree. You know, when when, uh, Dubas came out and said, uh, I don't know if I'm going anywhere else. If I go anywhere else, it's Uh, I'm not going to pop up in another city. I'm just going to be here in Toronto. Yeah, he
0: said that to the Toronto media, so there wouldn't be like this feeding friends if he said anything but. Okay, but if that's true, I don't want to see Fenway
1: Sports Group go out there and try to buy him into interest in Pittsburgh, because if he's on the verge of burnout already, he's going to come here and see the situation, realize it's not all that tenable, and they might be searching for a new GM in another year anyway.
0: Well, if I was the GM... I would come in and do what Rutherford did in 2015, Tim. I would make a big trade right away to show that there's going to be change. Rutherford traded James Neal for Patrick Hornquist. Not a popular trade, but it worked out pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, I would trade Jake Gensler, Brian Rust. Sidney Crosby won't allow that to happen.
1: He certainly wouldn't allow it to happen for
0: And if the GM does it anyway, then there's problems there.
1: And are those problems
0: manifest in two years when Sid's
1: contract is up? Is that what you're saying?
0: You know what? You'll never find a bigger admirer of Sid than me, personally and professionally. The time has come to not worry about what he thinks anymore.
1: What he thinks and what he wants. Right, exactly. In terms of personnel
0: moves. Exactly. Somebody might surprise him by going against his grain and making the team better somehow.
1: I don't think that Crosby, and this is where he should listen to to the past and maybe ignore his own... Advice, but like do you think when Jake Gensel first got here, Crosby looked at him and said, Well, there's my there's my winger for ten years. I don't know. You know, and, it, like that's the surprise element. Like allow yourself to be surprised well, and, possibly. And Sid's
0: not trying to you know make sure his friends, you know, have a good job. Okay. Sid just hates change. That is the root of all this. Tim, that'd be a better team if they let Malkin walk and sign Trochek. You know, Malkin's a point collector. He gets a lot of points, but he doesn't impact. Trocek would have provided more energy, better two-way play, less stupid penalties, better on the power play, believe it or not. And there's where you start, by the way. Here's where I'll know if the Penguins have any intent to change. When the power play goes out for the first time next year, if Geno's on the right circle, I'm going to say, okay, this team's not making the playoffs. They have to at long last realize that Sid needs to be the de facto point man in the right circle as a distributor and reset point and put Gino I don't know where, somewhere else. But if they come out in that same alignment, which is badly underachieved, that'll show there's going to be no change at all. That will be the microcosm. We'll get
1: ready to reset that same monologue then in a couple months because based on the way Mike Sullivan talked at the end of the season in that press conference, he completely thinks the opposite. They are going to do what you're talking about. They of course are, they
0: are, but they're wrong.
1: You know, I know. I agree. I mean, there's something wrong with that power play, but he cited every number, chapter, and verse after he was asked about the power play and made it sound like it's a good thing that they're in the top third or the top half well, of the categories. As certain I have categories. said
0: frequently, Tim, I'm allowed to be right and Sullivan wrong. I'm allowed to be right and Crosby wrong. And I think we've reached that point. I agree with you that the power play needs tweaking. I think you and I have been. No, it doesn't need tweaked. It needs Sidney Crosby on the right circle as the de facto point man. Period. And not this crap, well, you know, guys rotate here and there, blah, blah, blah. Mario didn't rotate here and there. Phil Kessel didn't rotate here and there. Sergey Gonchar didn't rotate here and there. Don't tell me what I'm seeing and what I've seen. Hornquist didn't rotate, and they need a guy like him in front of the net. Yeah, but they, but they don't have a guy like that. They do have Crosby to play the spot I'm talking about.
1: You seem a little less concerned, at least in conversations that we've had about the team, I'm most concerned about the blue line, the way it's constructed, versus how Sullivan wants to play. I, th- I see that as the biggest disconnect that exists right now.
0: There's no question. A- oh, okay, I-,
1: I-, I thought your biggest thing was the power play.
0: No, but that's but that's the most easily traceable microcosm. Okay. Sullivan will tell people, we're playing this way, when if you know what you're watching, you can see that they're not.
1: The biggest example like that of that... Like that power
0: play stuff. We rotate everywhere, blah, blah, blah. No, Gino's in the right dot period. The right half wall.
1: When Marino and Matheson left, granted they had their flaws and those flaws at times manifested with their new teams. Um, At least they played the way that Sullivan tends to want to play. They got guys that it looked like were just more concerned about taking care of business and being sound in their own half of the ice. And those guys aren't activators They're not carry the puck out, make moves into the offensive zone. But
0: then you have to adjust the way you play.
1: Right. You can't yes. make Jeff Petrie into John Marino. Right. Or Matheson. You can't make Ruda into Matheson, that's for what sure. What a
0: bad series of trade and signings those were. What what fatal dominoes fell. I mean, it was
1: basically the Ryan Reeves trade a number of times over.
0: That was where Sully started to lose me, Tim. When he refused to play Ryan Reeves more than he did, even though it, it would have helped them in terms of having Reeves, just for that series against Washington in 2018.
1: Uh, Just have the nuclear element ready to go. Yeah,
0: well, to have the Connor punch for Tom Wilson. Wilson. But, but, you know, Sullivan wasn't interested in that. And it doesn't matter. In those 82 regular season games, it doesn't matter at all who the fourth-line right wing is. It's just that Sully wanted to have his way. He's become a better Dan Balsma. No, he hasn't. No, no, better coach to begin with.
1: His record isn't better over the last six years. Bilesma's record over the last six years of his tenure, Bilesma's results, I should say, in the last six years of his tenure were better than Sullivan's.
0: Well, and another thing I hate, too, is that Sally's from Boston, FSG's from Boston, that shouldn't matter at all, but it does. Seems to, based on that story I was reading
1: from the AHL guy who covers the league, that's that's the tidbits he's getting. By the way, the three guys he put out there were Botterill, Chayka, and uh, now I can't remember who the third guy was. I heard was. Botterill might not really want it. He... Cause he probably knows better than everybody else.
0: Yeah, maybe. Uh, give me your prediction. Who are going to be the two guys they hire?
1: Uh, I think Bergevin will be one, and um, either Chayka or the help me out the Carolina guy, the Tulsky. The
0: Tulsky, yeah. If you made me predict right now, Chayka and Bergevin. Is it Sheka? Is it that's how you say it? Yeah, Sheka? yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. After the Eddie Money song. <laughs> Tim, real quick, Mason Rudolph is back, except he never left. Isn't that a non-story? Aren't we talking about it too much? I think so, but are we doing it or are the fans doing it?
1: Like fans, I I think the fans have sort of turned this into like you know this this horrible reactionary, allergic
0: thing. Well, one guy on the B team, and he's not one of the guys who disappeared, like uh, like Amelia Earhart, but uh, but he said that they should cut Trubisky and make Rudolph the number two, which is so wholly invented. Uh, just a dumb idea. No, I mean,
1: like, what are you going to do with that cap space now? Right,
0: who's available?
1: You can Whoever you're going to get now, you're going to get for cheaper at the end of camp anyway. Right. What are you, you going to do with that? To me, it's not an asset that's now available in terms of releasing cap space. To me, it's more about a tradable asset when some quarterback gets hurt. The best
0: quarterbacking the Steelers had last year was uh, Mitch Trubisky off the bench in the Tampa game. Look,
1: if you don't want uh, to give up Trubisky until somebody else gets hurt, you can give up Trubisky and maybe get a second or third, or you can give up Mason Rudolph and maybe get a fifth or a sixth to some team that's in desperate need. If a first guy goes down or a second guy goes down... That
0: would define desperate need.
1: That to me is more valuable than whatever cap space you open up now because you're not gonna be able to go out there and sign anybody of real repute at this point that you're not gonna be able to get like and Domican is saying, I'm gonna play, I'm just not gonna play till September. Okay, wait till September then.
0: You see, I think I think they need Trubisky, because I think I think Pickett's gonna get hurt and Trubisky's gonna play. I think he's a real good backup. Finally, Tim, and this is something I brought up and I'm surprised it's not discussed more. Who's gonna start week one at left tackle against Nick Bosa? Week two against Miles Garrett. Week three against Max Crosby. Would it be uh, Broderick Jones or uh, Dan Moore Jr.? I would
1: prefer to see Broderick Jones because you drafted him, you traded up to get him for a reason. Is he really going to be better in week four or after week six, after the bye, than he is in week one to start? Is he going to be that much better than Dan Moore having not played in a game for six more weeks longer? Like, I say start him.
0: I, I, I do too, but I also know how they think. Uh, Don't you think Broderick Jones should be called MF for Jones after Jamie (laughs) Foxx's character in Horrible Bosses? (laughs) I want to go back to the analogy you
1: made about, I think you were talking about this on your show, I, I think the only way to get Broderick Jones to start faster is to throw a hissy fit in the locker room, have him fight Deontay Johnson, and wind up going in halftime of week four or week three anyway.
0: We're going with number eight <laughs> or whatever whatever MF for Jones' number is. 70, 77? 77, I yeah. think. Right. Phil Esposito, Ray Bork. That is Tim Benz. I'm Mark Madden. This is the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. Don't forget, bet now from anywhere. Catch new episodes of Mark Madden Unfiltered every week. Available on the Bet Rivers Network, betrivers.com, and wherever you find your podcasts.